Welcome, sports fans, to the next great podcast surrounding the NFL. It's the latest catch. I'm Brent Labonte, the founder, and our partner with one of my great friends, Bryson Mercier. Today, we'll go over popular news, topics, headlines, and predictions for this upcoming week. Obviously, before we start, make sure to let other people know and continue to follow the process. Every listener matters. All right, before we hop into this episode, a uh, quick word from our sponsor. Looking end zone, touchdown! Jack Sorensen pulls it in. Wide open! The flea flicker is perfection! Jack Sorensen, touchdown Miami! Welcome to the Latest Catch Podcast. We are super excited to have you on, and we can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, it means a lot to us. Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys having me here. All right, Jackson, begin here. I'm just going to get to know you a little bit. So where you're from, what high school did you go to? And I do have to ask, did you play any other sports besides football? Yeah, uh, so I grew up in, like, the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Um, played a bunch of sports growing up. Ended up, obviously, playing football um, at Miami University in Ohio. Uh, but, yeah, growing up, kind of dabbled in a lot of different sports but the one that I was almost going to go to uh, college for was lacrosse I ended up committing like my freshman year to Boston University um, just because that recruiting process happened so so ridiculously early Um, but once football opportunities came along um, that's kind of where my passion and my heart lied so um, I decided just to kind of switch over and make the switch then. So your high school moment do you have a lot of high school moments I'm sure that were very memorable I mean even your junior year you caught 64 passes that season won a state championship but if you just had to pick one moment from your high school career it what would be that one moment that sticks out to you oh man that's a long time ago uh let's see honestly like in high school the games were intense and, and, and they were like the world to you in the moment. But I think like the best moments I have of high school football are like all piling onto one of those yellow school buses and in like your full pads and driving over to whatever team you're going to play. And like there's music going, you know, you're just hanging out like it's almost it's it's not the calm before the storm because it was, you know, just a bunch of really like crazy high school kids just kind of going crazy in a small confined area um but honestly that was like those are the best memories for me I mean like yeah winning state was great and um you know playing in the game was great and all the games are always super fun but the part of football I've always loved is like the friendships that you can make and the camaraderie aspect of it um so for me it's it's been a lot of the off-field moments um with the team those those were definitely my favorite moments in high school all right, Jack, i tell you one thing, man. Me and you, we're pretty similar. No, we're not Division One football players. I'm not an NFL player. I am a state champ, though. But I have to agree with you, man. You know, it's not in the state championship that was the best moment of high school for me. It would have to be, like, the little things, hanging out with your friends, like you mentioned, you know, the uh, team dinners, watching film, stuff like that. So I could not agree with you anymore there. So I also read, though, you played quarterback in high school. So why did you end up switching positions? Um... So why did I switch from quarterback to receiver? Yeah. Um, so when, when I was young, um, I think 
for at least Pop Warner football, they just took the kid that can throw the farthest and put him at QB. Um, there was no other rhyme or reason to it. And when I was young, I had a pretty good arm. So um, they kind of just stuck me at quarterback at a young age. And I kind of just wrote it out from there and um, did pretty well with it. And then my junior year, we had a kid ahead of me named Willie Bourbon, who ended up playing baseball at Northwestern, had a really successful career. But he had a he was there before I was and did an incredible job um, playing quarterback for Stevenson. And, um, and I was able to, you know, get into the mix as a receiver um, after they asked me to, to, to make that switch and had a pretty good year that year. Um, and then actually my senior year when Willie left, I switched back to quarterback um, and played my senior year there. Um, so I really only played one year of receiver uh, before I got to college. So did you have any, colleges offer you to go play quarterback instead of receiver I actually didn't I, I didn't really pursue it that way um after I had my junior year I realized like I loved receiver um I wanted to play receiver after that I understood that I would have to go back to quarterback my senior year um and I was fine with that but I was solely pursuing receiver in college so that was kind of my um my angle whenever I talked to talk to coaches so when you were coming out of high school, you said you pursued the wide receiver route. Um, you had some offers from schools like Ball State. You went on visits to bigger schools like Wisconsin. So you had a lot of look, uh, some decent looks coming out of high school. What made you, you know, decide to sign with Miami of Ohio? And, you know, was the just kind of aspect of it being a nice small college, comfortable people around you, or what was the biggest part of going there? I think there's a couple factors. Um, first, for me, like my parents have done an incredible job at a really young age of just, you know, a lot kind of allowing us to understand me and all my siblings that, um, you know, sports end at some point um, and we have to set ourselves up for life after sports. Um, all of my siblings are, are, are really good athletes and, and a lot of them are playing in, in college and, and doing stuff like that. So they, they've my parents have done a good job of making sure that we pick a place that um, is going to you know, help us prosper in whatever we want to do whenever our sport ends. And I, at Miami, I, you know, through the whole recruiting process, I, I learned that they had an, an incredible alumni connection. Um, obviously, their farmer school of business is, is one of the top ones around the, around the country. And, um, and also uh, on the football side, um, they have graduated people and sent them to the NFL uh, at a higher rate than any other MAC school. Um, and that was important for me because that was my dream. Um, so for me, I felt like it had the best combination of the both of the both of academics and, and life after football that it could provide, as well as the opportunity to go and pursue my dream as an NFL athlete. And I was valued there. They really wanted me to be there. And that was important for me, too. I'd say you made a good choice because over the years, you put together a pretty good resume at Miami, Ohio. And you probably go down as one of the better receivers in the MAC in the last decade or so. So you were redshirted your freshman year. A year, year later, you ended up uh, receiving third-team All-Mac with 742 yards. You set your school record for most touchdowns in the game. So out of all those great things that's happened over the last couple of years, what would be your most memorable moment at Miami, Ohio? Oh, my gosh, that question again. Once, once again, um, like the on-field you know, accolades and the things that have come from – um, you know, the stats and whatnot, like I'm so confident when I say I would not achieved any of that without the support staff of the, of, of, of the coaches um, and how much work they put in every single week, as well as like my teammates around me 
that did the, you know, kind of the unthanked, unthanked jobs um, to allow me to get the opportunities that I was getting. But um, uh, aside from that, I, I think, again, it, it's, it's, the, it's the long trips, it's the uh, airplane rides, it's the 10-hour bus rides, it's the, I mean, Max and you play on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday nights, and um, so you're playing at 7 and then busing back, getting, at, getting back at 4 and then waking up for a test at 7.30, and um, so it's those memories, honestly, that are that will always stick in my head. The MAC championship is great, and the bowl games are awesome, but it's the off-field stuff that really, you know, I, I'll take with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, on the field, you had around 1,400 yards and 10 touchdowns, and then you entered the draft this year. Um, those numbers were the third best in your school's history. So you went into the draft. Can you just throw us, tell us how the draft process was and exactly how the Bengals ended up you know, bringing you in to their organization. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think, I think um, the draft process is something that, you know, you read about and you watch YouTube videos about, and you watch these little docu-series that, that follow these top athletes through um, their, their draft process. But um, outside of, you know, the first and second round guys, the draft process is crazy hectic. Um, and you really don't have a picture of, of what's going to happen until, something happens. So, you know, after my season ended, I thought I had put myself in a position to, you know, maybe be one of those top 30, top 35 receivers. Um, and unfortunately just, you know, kind of the way that, that my combine went and, and some of the times that I posted, I fell, um, you know, further down that list and come draft, come, you know, the, the day of the, of the draft, um, you know, I ended up not getting picked up in the draft and thankfully, you know, I, looking back on it, I was pretty disappointed, but thankfully I ended up in the situation that I'm in because, you know, I think I'm surrounded by a bunch of guys um, that have had so much success at such a young age, as well as some veterans like, um, like Tyler Boyd and, and Trent Irwin and Trent Taylor and Stanley Morgan and Mike Thomas. And, and there's guys in that room that have invaluable experience that I can learn from. Um, and so I, you know, I wouldn't trade that for, for the world, but the, the process is totally unique to every single person that goes through it. So you could talk to a hundred different athletes and they'd all have a different story. So you mentioned some names there and it has to have been pretty cool to be in the same wide receiver room as Jamar Chase, T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Tyler Boyd, sorry, names of that, you know, they just won the AFC champ championship game and they went to the Super Bowl. So it's had to have been a really cool, you know, training camp OTAs with those guys in the same wide receiver room. Tell us how that's been going. Yeah, I think it's it's been awesome. Just my transition um, from college into the NFL, having a group of guys like that, um, like I said, that have had so much success at such a young age, um, and understand what it means to be a pro. Understand how to attack every single day, how to take on OTAs. I'm gonna see how I'm gonna see how they attack training camp when we get back on July 23rd, and um, and and it's been an awesome learning experience for me to be in a room filled with so much talent. And so much experience, you know, I, I feel like I really hit the jackpot um, going to the Bengals with, you know, Jamar and T and Tyler Boyd and all those guys that I've mentioned before. It's such a mix of success, um, on-field success and exposure um, and experience in the league um, that I'm able to, you know, kind of pull from and dip my toe in. So it's great. So what has been the toughest part of transitioning from college ball to the NFL? I think it's just, it's, it's how much more you have to comprehend and, you know, how much more complex the playbook is and, 
how much more complex the defenses that you're facing are as far as what they show in the fronts and, and the blitzes and, and how good they are at disguising everything. Um, I think that's the biggest thing for me. Um, and maybe that change, changes come training camp when the pads get put on and, you know, we're kind of going full speed and whatnot. But as of right now, from the exposure I've had in the NFL, it's definitely been just the complexity of it all. So you've gone through the mini camps and stuff like that. And I'm sure, like you mentioned, some stuff that you're trying to get used to and, you know, transitioning from the college ball to the NFL. So I want to ask, you know, is there anything you're working on in particular that maybe the coaches told you so you get ready for training camp? Yeah, it's it's first, it's just understanding the playbook from every position. It's understanding it in big picture, not position by position. Um, so just having that down like the back of my hand. So when I go out there and my number's called, you know, I, I have I'm giving myself the best opportunity opportunity to, to succeed. Um, and then on top of that, it's getting stronger. You know, um, it's getting more upper body uh, strength and core strength and leg strength to be able to take on blocks and sustain them and open up the run game, um, because that's where my opportunities are going to come. Opportunities initially are going to be blocking, are going to be special teams, are going to be those, and then hopefully transition into larger roles on the offense. So um, obviously, I'm trying to be the best receiver I can be, but I'm trying to. Um, also, you know, become the best I can be in other areas to help the Bengals uh, obviously win one more game than they did last year and be Super Bowl champions this next year. I mean, it's got to be pretty cool playing with Joe Shiesty, right? I mean, have you met him? <laughs> You've got to have met him yet, right? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a great dude. Um, just very composed, uh, very diligent and focused um, when he's on the field and um, takes, you know, every single rep extremely serious. And, and that's awesome to see as a rookie. Um, and, but you know, off the field, he's just a normal human. You can go up to him and have a conversation with him. And, um, you know, he's as down to earth as, as anybody that you, that you'd meet on the side of the road would be. So, um, so he's a great, great dude. And, um, he's an awesome, you know, uh, uh, role model for me in the locker room for sure. So you mentioned you're a rookie and I'm sure everybody knows rookie hazings are a thing. So has that happened to you yet? Is it going to happen in training camp? What What's the deal on rookie hazing? Because I know everybody's kind of got their new story, rookie freshman hazing. So I'm interested to see if you have one of those yet. <laughs> yeah, no, not yet. I'm not, I'm not sure, um, you know, what exactly goes on with the Bengals. But, um, yeah, no, nothing yet. So um, if something happens, maybe we'll have another conversation and then I can tell you guys, but, I, but nothing so far. All right, my, my last question here. Actually, I got two of them for you. I actually read that you are related to Craig Council. I mean, I'd, I'm a big Brewers fan, so that kind of surprised <laughs> me a little bit when I when I read that. So, I mean, how close are you to me? You know, do you actually keep in contact? Have you been to Brewers games? So what's the deal with that? Yeah, growing up, um, we went to a lot of – he um, played for the Brewers too. So growing up when I was younger and had more free time and flexibility with my schedule, we went up and watched him play all the time and – um, you know, through high school, we went up there, but um, recently it's been, it's been pretty difficult to get to games just with, you know, how much the time commitment is right now. But um, yeah, we, we text here and there every once in a while. Um, he's been a great role model for me. Um, you know, if you look at his path, he was kind of that against all odds guy um, and I might fall into that category. So he's just been a great mentor, a great role model, someone I can bounce questions off of and, and lean on in, in difficult times. All right. So last question here. It's been a pleasure having you on. This has been a really cool interview. Hopefully we can do this again sometime. But last question for me is, is there any piece of advice now that you've went through the college ranks, you're actually in the pros, 
that you would give a high school college athlete looking to go to the next level, trying to pursue a career at the next level? Any pieces of advice for those kind of kids? Yeah, so it's funny. I actually just yesterday um, went back and, and got the opportunity to talk to my high school, uh, Stevenson High School. So, um, And I would say kind of the same thing that I said to them is there's, there's two things. Um, first is you have to have the understanding of whatever dream that you have. Nobody cares about it more than you. Um, and nobody will make it happen but you. And if you expect your parents to, if you expect your friends to, if you expect, I don't know if you have a girlfriend to or any anybody else, then you're going to be sitting there in 10 years thinking, damn, this never happened, you know, and you're going to have to think of something else. So uh, I think that is the first thing is you have to take accountability for your dream and think about, okay, you know, are the people that I'm surrounding myself with the, the best people that I can be around? Um, is there sacrifices that I need to make that I haven't made? Um, because at the end of the day, nobody's going to make it for you. Everybody's too caught up in their own lives to really take take their own, set their own goals aside and, and, and achieve yours for you. Um, so I think that's a big thing. Um, and then the second one I just kind of touched on it is just who you surround yourself with. Um, you know, if, you, if you're surrounding yourself, if you're a motivated person, you're surrounding yourself with not motivated people or people that are going in the opposite direction of where you want to go, then inadvertently, whatever they do, you're going to be grouped in. Um, whether that's applying for a job one day, they're going to do a background check or they're going to look at what you do on social media, who you surround yourself on social media, and they're going to group you in with that. Um, so I think it's just being conscious of who you surround yourself with and taking accountability of whatever, whatever dream or goal that you have um, and not putting that on someone else to achieve for you. All right. That's great advice, man. Thank you so much for coming on again. I know my younger brother who isn't with, who wasn't talking with us today, but he is a huge Bengals fan. He was actually crying last year when they lost the Super Bowl, but I'm sure we'll be following you. We're rooting for you to make make the 52 man, 53 man roster, and we'll be following your journey here through training camp. So awesome! Well, I appreciate you having me on. This is awesome. That will conclude our interview with Jack Sorensen, Bengals wide receiver. We're rooting for him, hoping he makes the 53 and can make a big impact on that team this year because they're going to have some um, high expectations to to uh, complete and try to succeed a super, another Super Bowl run and maybe win one this year, like you mentioned. Um, we'll be watching a lot of Bengals games, especially just because of Jack. We had him on the show, and we're now uh, huge fans. So, Bryson, I'm going to send it over to you with the National Day holiday type thing you do every single time. The holiday today? International Joke Day. That's right. Hopefully we can think of some jokes. I'm not very funny, so hopefully you can think of some jokes today. But it is International Joke Day, so if you're at home, go tell your brother, your sister, your mom a joke, or your dad a joke, just because it's International Joke Day, July 1st, uh, getting closer and closer to the NFL season, NBA free agency, wow, is that crazy right now. I, I want to start in the NBA, but I want to start with the draft. I want to know what team was the steal of the draft. I, I want your thoughts on this first. I'll, I'll answer next. But I want to know who won the draft in the NBA this year. All right. So are we going to start off with the NBA here, Bryson, you said? All right. Thank you, sure. I was doing some research on the side. Uh, who won the NBA draft? I'm going to say the Detroit Pistons did. Um, you, you get Jaden Ivey first. And he was one of my favorite players to watch in the Big Ten. And then you also walk away with the Memphis big there in Jalen Duran. 
And I thought, you know, those two two athletes can now contribute in their starting five. And Shadiq Bay is also still back, and he showed that he could be a successful scorer for them. And you also have a second-year guy who they drafted very high in Cade Cunningham. Now, you did trade away uh, Jeremy Grant, which shouldn't be a big deal anyway um, for them. I feel like they're very young but are building. So I just thought the Pistons, you can get two guys that are first-round first worthy, and you can plug into your starting five that can make them better. Um, you know, you also have money to spend in free agency. This is huge. Uh, I think the Pistons are going to be up and coming. Now, I'm not saying next year they're going to be a playoff team, but I expect them at least two years minimum from now, Bryson. I think uh, Detroit will definitely find themselves competing in that conference. Yeah, I've got the Detroit Pistons as well. And I think you mentioned Cade Cunningham. He was the first overall pick last year. They had the first overall pick. They got him. And then you just mentioned all of the reasons I love their draft this year. They set themselves up a couple years down the road to become a contending playoff team. Next year, I think they might even contend for the playoffs. So they are set up in a good position. But another team I want to kind of talk about here that's pretty sneaky is the Utah Jazz. They just traded Rudy Gobert, but they got six first-round draft picks coming up. I think in the next like three or four years, I think I saw. They are setting themselves up to put a young core around Donovan Mitchell in Utah. Now, Utah hasn't been very lucky in the playoffs. They haven't gotten very far. Ran into that Denver Nuggets team a couple years ago. Uh, So I don't know what that's going to mean for them. But I like where they're going. They're taking the Oklahoma City Thunder route, who I think is another team that's going to be very interesting to watch next year because they're very young, and they have so many draft picks coming up. But I want to talk about the steal of the draft. And this is going to sound weird, but I think Jaden Ivey was the absolute steal of the draft for the Detroit Pistons because he was not supposed to slip that far. If you look at the top players drafted before Jaden Ivey, you got Paolo Banchero, who was the number one overall pick, and I believe that he was the best player in this draft. Then Chet Holmgren, very good second pick. Jamari Smith, Keegan Murray, don't think those two are as good as Jaden Ivey will be. But... You look at the Rockets, they needed a point guard. They didn't get one with Jaden Ivey. The Kings, they need a point guard, kind of. They need a guard. They get Keegan Murray instead. I think he's a pretty good fit for that team. But Jaden Ivey slid down that draft board to Detroit, and he's looking good in a Detroit Pistons jersey, and he's going to be a good fit there. Now, I want to touch on something else, though. I think these rookies, they need to get a filter because – You've got people like Benedict Mathurin from Arizona. He was talking about how LeBron James needs to prove that he's better than him. Like, he believes that he's the best player in the NBA. Everybody else needs to prove that he's better than him, that they're better than him. I just think that that's just a little, a bit of a stretch, Um, a little cocky maybe, a little arrogant is the word I'm looking for. I, I think that they need to get a little bit of a, you know, filter. I mean, Paulo Banchero trying to recruit KD, I kind of like that a little bit, but he's not crossing any lines. Like, that was, I was like, ooh, telling LeBron that you don't think he's better than you? Like, uh, you're going to find out really quickly that he is the, he's one of the greatest for a reason. So I think some of these rookies getting out there a little bit, but they'll learn. I'm sure they'll learn. Yeah, like Chet Holmgren even talked about it too. You know, you got those guys, those rookies right now. I don't know why. I mean, they're confident, which is great but also a little cocky. There's a little bit of a difference there. Um, but my steal of the draft came with the 21st overall pick. The Spurs took Malachi Branham 
out of Ohio State. Being a Big Ten basketball watcher, especially Michigan State, Bryce in Michigan, we get to see Ohio State a couple times a year. And Malachi Branham, he disappointed at first. He was supposed to be this um, this big-time recruit that they got, and he was only putting up like seven or eight points. But you look at what he did toward the end of the year with Ohio State. He dropped 35 against Nebraska, 31 against Illinois, you know, Indiana even, 27. He had, a, he had multiple 20-plus point games. I just thought he was one of their better players. He could play defense. He has length. But the big thing about this one is not only are you getting a first-round talent, but I feel like if he was to go anywhere in this vicinity, he would not have shined, but he goes to the Spurs with Greg Popovich, and they just got rid of DeJounte Murray. You get rid of DeJounte Murray, and now you bring in Malachi Branham, another guard. I understand DeJounte was more of a point guard, but you're losing some scoring there. So I think he gets thrusted into this, this position where he's going to have to score to keep the Spurs in it or to contend a little bit because I don't think they'll be that good this year. But... To me, do not be surprised if Branham is in the top uh, rookie of the year votes just because he's going to get the opportunity. He's going to be able to put up a lot of shots, and I think Popovich will actually trust him enough or he could be a star in San Antonio for years to come. All right, I like that. I, I like that. Now, there's been, like I mentioned before, this free agency period has been crazy. I think the amount of money that these guys are making, pretty much every – like player option, team option, every max extension. Like I feel like everybody's getting a max extension. Like Zach Levine got a max extension for like five years, two fifteen million, I think, two hundred fifteen million. Like I, he was good. But I don't think he was that good. Like the amount of money he's making is Steph Curry money. So I just feel like I've seen a lot of max extensions this year compared to other years, and. Russell Westbrook is getting paid $47 million in the 2022-23 season. I think this is going to go into my next little, our next little segment, is that I was going to ask you who you think is going to get traded during this free agency period. I had Rudy Gobert as number one. He got traded today, so I can't use him. I was going to use Miles Bridges. He got arrested hours ago, so I can't use him either. I might use Russ here, just because I feel like L.A., doesn't want to keep that contract, but I don't think anybody else is going to keep that contract. So I, I don't know that I don't know what LA is going to do with Russ. They dug themselves into a pretty deep hole though with this, you know, salary cap. Doesn't really seem to be a thing in the NBA anymore. But I mean, I wouldn't want to pay Russell Westbrook forty-seven million if I'm the GM of that team. I'm for that's that's for certain though. Yeah, and. Now you just see the market you know, completely explode in the NBA. You talked about it, and now Russ is making $47 million for a player that you know, doesn't even have a, I mean, really doesn't even have a mid-range jump shot. I mean, he's all about driving, get, get to the hoop, but he just felt like he lost some confidence this year in L.A. So, I mean, what should the Lakers do with Russ? I mean, I think you got to play him because, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to want to take on that contract. You're going to have to try to get his confidence back and try to get him to play like MVP Russ. Because he went from the Rockets, correct, Bryson? He was last in the Rockets, and then he went to L.A. He looked like an MVP candidate with the Rockets. And then he goes to the Lakers, and he looks like this bum that nobody likes. The whole entire L.A. Lakers fan base is just not a fan of Russell Westbrook anymore. I don't really blame you. He played awful last year. You obviously expect more when you have Russ, A.D., and LeBron James all on one team, and you cannot get it done or compete for a championship even. 
that's a failure of a season. But Russell Westbrook, to me, if you put some time in um, this offseason, try to get your confidence back, your jumper back, you know, I think a lot of people are going to be eating their words. Um, but at the same time, though, I don't even know if Russ still has it. I don't know what your opinion on, is on Russ. I, mean, I like your take there. I mean, they could trade him, but I just don't know what kind of trade you could put together for Russ. You know, who's going to want to take on $47 million for what a lot of people say is a washed-up player? Yeah, I, I'm looking at the stats right now. Uh, you missed – I didn't. I forgot he went to Washington for a year too. Uh, but he went to Washington, played 65 games there last year. Um, I'm looking at his stats. I don't see where there's any, like, there's decrease in field goal attempted, and there's an increase in field goal percentage and three-pointers and three-point attempts, or decrease in three-point attempts, and a decrease in three-point percentage. So I don't but those are such small margins. I don't think that he's having as much of a drop-off as you think. I think that they are blaming him for a team that's not living up to expectations that were falsely put on them. Because his stats over the last four years, eerily similar compared to his... He had an all-star year in 2018-2019. And since then, his numbers been quite the same. I mean, there's some drastic decreases in like field goals and points. But like everything else is pretty... You know, not out of the ordinary. They've decreased by such small margins. I think we're over-exaggerating his, you know, falling off here. So I don't think I would have ever played him $47 million. Now, he was, a, I think, two or three-time scoring champ. So, I, yeah, two-time scoring champ, three-time assist champ. I know he has, like, the, I think he has a career record for most triple-doubles. In a season here? Yeah, in a season, I think. I, I love... Russell Westbrook, but I think he's getting out of his prime, and he has been out of his prime for a while, and people haven't realized it until he's been in L.A. where the light was shining on him because he had LeBron with him, and they haven't won. So I think that he's been out of his prime for a while, and people just haven't noticed it. So I'm going to send it back over to you now. Yeah, and then you kind of mentioned your player to trade. I'm just going to mention the name here, Duncan Robinson of the Miami Heat. I feel like you can get a decent package back for him. I mean, I know Miami... They've been in talks with Donovan Mitchell and all these rumors flying around. They they do need one more piece. I mean, they were also talking about getting Brad Beal until he signed that massive deal um, with the Washington Wizards. So I think players that would be included there would be like Mac, Max Struess and then Duncan Robinson. Um, you can put something together there. I mean, I know Bam Adebayo. Um, they didn't want to send him in a, in a package for Kevin Durant. Um, I know Kyrie Irving even, like they're talked about, because Kyle Lowry looked like he was, you know, washed up last year. I just think Duncan Robinson is a is a player to watch out for, especially during this free agency period, and a player you can add on a contending team that can make a difference because of his shooting. Go blue, baby. No, no, no. Go green, go white, Bryson. All right, we're going to hop quickly to the NFL here, and this should be a really short one. Um, Scary Terry signed a three-year, $71 million contract extension with the Commanders. I just want to know your thoughts on this signing. You know, is the is the NFL wide receiver market, is it getting so out of hand that you aren't even able to, you know, retain your star receiver? You look at Devontae Adams, what he did, because now they're controlling where to play. I just feel like three years and $71 million for Scary Terry. He's a great receiver, don't get me wrong. But you got to see who's throwing the football, and then you're also paying a guy that, you know, a lot of people, if you ask on the side of the street, who's Terry McLaurin, they won't even be able to answer. 
the wide receiver business is booming right now. The agents are doing their job because Scary Terry getting $23 million, $24 million a year. Jeez, that's... I mean, it's not a long-term investment. It's only three years. We'll see what he can do with an actual quarterback, hopefully with Carson Wentz, but I would not. This wide receiver business is booming way too much. It's getting a little out of hand. I think if you have three mid-tier wide receivers compared to one all-star wide receiver, I think that's even better is having three mid-tier wide receivers. So the team that can figure that out, Green Bay Packers, I think that they're going to they're gonna be just fine with the amount of cap space they're spending on wide receivers because it's the same amount. They just have better secondary third options than these teams that are spending $24 million for a star wide receiver. And now they have no money to spend elsewhere at the wide receiver position. So I think that the wide receiver business is booming. But another business that's booming is the quarterback business. And there's a lot of second-year QBs that are going to have to start proving themselves to get that quarterback money here. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, name a few. Mac Jones, Davis Mills. Jordan Love can even be on that list, I guess. Uh, Actually, he is a third-year quarterback. Jordan Love is. Because he might be... Oh, here's my joke of the day. International joke day. People probably forget about his rookie season because he might be the first first first-round draft pick to never suit up for one game in an entire season. And I, he made the organization's best player mad. I, that, that's just a situation that I don't understand. But Jordan Love is a third-year player, second-year QB, we can call him. He never suited up his rookie season, so he will not break out unless we need him to. Hopefully, a Raj is fine. But Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, Davis Mills are you know, some of the big second-year QBs that started last season. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to have one of the biggest breakout years. Zach Wilson could have a pretty good year too. Um, Trey Lance might not even get the job, so I'm not going to say him. But I think Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson are the two that I'm going to pick out of this. Because Mac Jones had a breakout rookie season. And I think he's going to hit a little bit of a sophomore slump. Because they didn't win because of him. They won because of Bill Belichick. So. And then Davis Mills is just not in a good situation to succeed. Yeah, I mean, Davis Mills... He's a, he's a guy that's a boomer bust this year. They're giving him a chance, which I give Houston credit for. I mean, he has a chance now to prove that he is a starter in this league. I mean, you know, I'm kind of excited to see the situation that he'll be in. Maybe he proves us all wrong and has another nice season. Because last year he had a very, very good season with Houston Texans. I'm actually going to go with Zach Wilson as well. He put on some weight this year. Um, I know it's second year with not only Robert Sala, but Mike LaFleur, his... Offensive coordinator, a new year in the offense, and not only that, but they go they get Garrett Wilson at receiver. They still have Elijah Moore, one of the better second year wideouts, and Corey Davis is still there. They went out and they got CJ Uzama in free agency. Um, Tyler Conklin, the Vikings, also another tight end that's very underrated. And the other offensive line's getting better. That's like the only hole, and obviously the decision making of Zach Wilson. So I think he started playing well at the end. He showed that he had some legs, and that you know he started to make decent. Uh, progressions through the offense and the playbook. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go Zach Wilson as well. And to close our show off, we're going to quickly do our nightly pick em. Uh Bryson's got a chiropractor appointment to get to. So we're, I think you're up, Bryson. One to two. Um, there's a couple games here tonight on the slate. Uh, Bryson, you have your picks ready to rock and roll. Yeah, I just want, I, I don't want to brag or anything. I I did go two and one last week. You went one and two. So I'm going to go Padres-Dodgers first game that we're going to pick here. 
I'm going to go. I got to go Dodgers here. I picked the Padres last time. They let me down against the Phillies. They let us both down. So, and Blake Snell's on the mound for the Padres. I, I, I don't know. I'm splitting. I didn't see Blake Snell was, I. Oh, against Tony Gonsolin, I think yeah Dodgers for sure because I Gonsolin's a ace of a of a pitcher. So I gotta go Dodgers here, even though I love Snell too because he got he was in a bad position over in Tampa Bay a couple years ago. Yeah, and now Snell's there in uh, San Diego. He's had a rough start to the year. You went Dodgers. Oh man, do I go Dodgers here? All right, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go, Pod Dodgers. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna go Dodgers as well, Bryson. I I just like what you know the Dodgers done with like Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner during the lap tonight. Obviously, Max Muncy cannot hit a baseball to save his life right now, or can Cody Bellinger. Um, but I do like Gonsolin as well. Um, on the mound, he's a nine and old record, I believe, with like a one something ERA. So this guy's an absolute tank on the mound. Uh, next, we got the Mariners taking on the. Crap hole, the MLB, the Oakland A's. Who do you got? This one's self-explanatory. I got Mariners. I got Mariners as well, and I can go even into deeper context on this one. Um, well, first, the Athletics, they're, like I mentioned, the worst team in the league, and then they're going up against a, a decent pitcher, Marco Gonzalez. So I have much more faith in a 37-41 and 41 Mariners than I do in a 25-53 and 53 Oakland A's. Now, I'm going to mention, though, just for the – for the people that are maybe listening to us, you got to watch Julio Rodriguez hit a baseball and play the game of baseball. He's, he's a pretty fun electric player for the um, Seattle Mariners. Last but not least, we got the White Sox, Giants. Who do you got? I feel like we might split on this one. I got the White Sox this week. I I picked against them last week. They helped me out. I'm going to pick them this week. All right. I am going to go with Alex Cobb in the San Francisco Giants. Um, he's on the mound against Lance Lynn. Um, it should be a close game, and I actually did have some some very close feelings there about going White Sox. We almost had, I think, all the same exact picks tonight except for one. So people listening, Bryson is up 2-1 to one on our nightly pick and that should close out our show here, Bryson. Yeah, we will catch you in the next episode.